Welcome to the Living Word with me, Sarah Adela Emmanuel. I give praise to God for another day, yet another opportunity to hear His Word, to share His Word, to learn from Him, to give Him all the glory for who He is and all He has done, all He is doing, and all that He will ultimately do in the lives of every person, be it um, in the gift of eternal life or um, you know, <laughs> in his judgment, whatever it is, I give praise to God, because his ways are wonderful, his works are perfect and glorious, and um, yes, there is much to thank God for, and so I give him all the glory today and always. So without further ado, um, I want us to go straight into the scriptures today, um, Matthew chapter 22, from verse 1 to 14, where Jesus speaks to us about, um, he tells us what we know as the parable of the wedding banquet. And that uh, it reads, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their, their ways one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him out, Casting into outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus, our Lord, spoke extensively about the kingdom of heaven during his um, earthly ministry. For he came to save those who would be saved. He came for the purposes of telling us what is to come, of showing us God because he was God. So Jesus was the first to speak of the kingdom of heaven. The prophets before him had not exactly spoken of the kingdom of heaven. They, you know, they'd uttered words as given to them by God, but they didn't exactly have details about the kingdom of heaven because um, they didn't know. They didn't have that revelation. It was made complete. That revelation was made perfect. All the things the prophets spoke in the Old Testament were like mysteries. But it was all made clear when Jesus our Lord came, because he was God. He is God. And so he spoke this parable to them, among many other parables. I love the parables of Jesus, because he gives us a very clear 
understanding of what is to come, of God's plans and intentions. Now, in this particular parable, the kingdom of heaven is like, he said, every time he was always the kingdom of heaven is like, a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Throughout the New Testament, we have got um, the marriage supper of the Lamb made known to us, particularly in the book of Revelation, you know, about, you know, we being the, the church being the bride of Christ, and the church consists of individuals, not every church you see in the world. No, it's not, that's not how it works. But every individual who has received the grace of God through Christ Jesus, who have received the gift of forgiveness and salvation through Christ Jesus. We are the bride of the Lamb, the Lamb of God being Jesus Christ, because he was the one who gave himself as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so the King, who is God Almighty, the Father, God the Father, prepared a wedding banquet for his son, arranged a marriage for his son, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the invited guests, initial, the first set of invited guests here are the Israelites, the nation of Israel. They were the covenant people, the first covenant people of God, because God himself created that nation for his glory. There was no nation called Israel before. God formed, he formed them, you know, out of his covenant with the, the uh, patriarch Abraham, for himself, he formed them as a people to be a people belonging to God. So now, and through them, Messiah came. Our Lord Jesus was given birth as, you know, as a man, fully God, fully man, through that lineage of David, who, oh, all of Israel's from the loins of Abraham, according to God's covenant promise. So now, they refused and rejected Messiah. God had sent them messengers upon messengers because God's salvation plan was perfected from before the foundation of the world was laid. And they were invited to this, uh, to, to this salvation through Jesus Christ. Now that is the only way because he is the son. It is him that the father prepared the marriage for. And that marriage today is prepared and we are all waiting, all the saints today and all the saints to come and all the saints past are all waiting for that wedding banquet when all things in this world has been brought to a close. So now, God then sent through the nation of Israel, I mean to, through them and to them, Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, came from among them and as a people, as a whole, they rejected him. Of course, some were, um, some were, um, some did receive him rather, some were converted unto Christ, we know, because the apostles who brought us the Gospels were all Jews, you know, salvation did come through the Jews, there's no denying that, so, you know, in a way, they will be our brothers, but, you know, they are our brothers and will be ultimately, because God still has plans for them, because God's word never fails. He made his covenant and he won't fail it, you know. So now, they, um, they uh, they refused as a nation they re rejected Christ we know they sent Jesus Christ to the cross to be crucified because they wanted him dead because they um, refused to believe on him they did not enjoy or like the idea that um, you know he was telling them that their religious practices were unacceptable to God were hypocritical were full of men's customs and things they did not like is condemnation of their sin 
That's just what it is. And that's the, what the world today still despises. The world does not like the condemnation of their sins. They don't like the conviction. That's why the world despises preachers. You'd be surprised that even many professing Christians despise preachers of the gospel. But they love preachers of lies, proclaimers of untruth, proclaimers of the things they would rather hear. And so many today who claim they are Christians, you know, they um, still have, they have a picture. They form the image of the God they would prepare, not the righteous, holy God, you know, of justice, who insists on, on, on righteousness. And holiness, no, they don't like, they don't like that God, and that is the God of the Bible, that is the sovereign God. But people, many in the church today prefer, you know, a God of their own imagination, uh, a God that's presented to them who just wants them to have the greatest time in this life and the best of every material thing in spite of their sins and in spite of their wickedness, in spite of their foolish ambitions, in spite of their wickedness against one another and everyone else, in spite of their injustices, their unrighteousness, in spite of all the evil that men and women perform. You know, they are presented with a God who wants, just wants to bless them anyway, regardless. Now that is not the God of the Bible. And that is not the God, you know, um, who in whose lives are hands every every individual soul is in so now israel rejected the prophets of god they rejected the prophets that got sent and ultimately when the son of god came they killed him you know so everyone was busy doing what they wanted. People chose their own kind of religion. They chose to worship God in the way they fancied, you know, without obedience, without the righteousness and the, you know, holiness that God called for. You know, Israel was rife with idolatry. Yes, they acknowledged the Almighty God, but alongside him, they are their own gods from all the other nations as well. So they practiced idolatry with the worship of the sovereign God. And of course, that was unacceptable. Now, that is still the case today with everybody in the world, with most people, rather, in the world. You know, they, 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 they've got an idea of God, you know, they've got that on the side, but they still do what they want to do anyway, and still worship the things they would rather worship. So that's still the case. But before we come to that, we look at this parable. You know, he sent out all the servants, the, the, you know, so he sent his servants, the wedding uh, feast is, the marriage feast is ready, come on, come on in, come and have, you know, take your place at the table, and the people refused, they were going about their own businesses, doing their own things, they couldn't be bothered. Now, they're being called to a free meal here, it wasn't going to cost them anything, but they could not be bothered. And so he sent more, sent out more servants, you know, saying, come on, everything is ready, come. But they made light of it and went their their ways. You know, one to his firm, one another to his business, everybody doing what they wanted. Pretty much as it is today when we proclaim the gospel. People are busy doing, ah, we've got to, we've got to leave this life first before we think about heaven. We've got to leave war, we've only got one life, we've got to leave that first before we worry about heaven. Who's ever been to heaven and come back to tell you what goes on there? Well, Christ Jesus came from there, and he told us what goes on there. So that's a very stupid question when people ask that, and it's very even more shameful when you hear a person who's, uh, claim, who's claiming to be a Christian ask you, ask you that daft question, who's ever been to heaven and come back and told you? 
<laughs> we will find out on that day. Everybody will find out, you know, who has been and, um, you know, and come back. Jesus came from there and he told us all there is to know. Okay, so now, <clears throat> everyone's been about their business like the people did. And the rest seized the servants, so the disobedient, unwilling invitees, seized the servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. We know how many of the prophets in the Old Testament uh, ended their lives. They were not appreciated. They were not listened to. It's amazing, isn't it? Because when you look today at the army of so-called prophets we have in the world, they've got lots of followers. Lots of followers, people so loyal to them, people following them, people obeying them, people casting all their money at their feet and all that. And then you look back and, um, and, and, you know, into the Old Testament and consider the prophets who proclaimed the word of God then. They had no followers. They had no followers. They were lone people because the people didn't like their message. And they still, you know, the thing is, the same message, they all have the same message always. Repent and turn to God. Forsake your sins, forsake your wickedness. Still the same message to this day. So now when we have this uh, great followership of prophets, there are no prophets today. <laughs> but people will insist they are. And they all they do, they're evil people, misleading people. And so we have them now with lots and lots of followers what is their message why is the gospel of christ so attractive to men no it's not men have got wicked selfish hearts the gospel of christ is not appealing to men like that it's not because to be telling people that they are enemies of god who are destined for judgment to hell eternally unless they forsake their sin and their wickedness the very sin and wickedness that we're asking them to forsake, that, be, that the message is asking them to forsake, like it asked me to forsake everyone, are the very things that make them. People love their sins. People love what they think is freedom. The ability to do what they want in the way and manner in which they choose. You know, without anyone holding them up. Why do people reject God? Why? Why do people reject the grace of, of God through Christ Jesus? Because they think that their freedom is going to be taken away. They don't want to be accountable. People don't like to be accountable. They don't want to be accountable to this sovereign higher being called God. So they think, <laughs> in their foolishness, men think that by refusing to bow before Christ and proclaim his inner Savior and Lord, by refusing to ask his forgiveness or admit their sinners, they think by so doing, they will be fine. You know, since I have not subscribed to it, you know, something like if I don't say anything, nobody will notice I'm here. <laughs> it's not so with with God, and it's not so with the gospel of Christ. Anyone who rejects that the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation through Jesus Christ, ends up in hell. Ultimately, they stand condemned already for shunning God's grace. And this is what happened here in this parable, you know. They, they, uh, the people seized some, uh, some of the, the God's servants and treated them spitefully and even killed them. 
Right, they did that killing all the way through to the sovereign Lord himself, the Savior himself, the one, the one and only Savior who can save anyone, the one whose death would be the atoning sacrifice for everyone and anyone who cried out to him, the one who himself is the author of life, the life giver himself was murdered by sinful man, the creation. Incredible, isn't it? The creation trying to kill the creator. Incredible, isn't it? But that's exactly what happened. And at this time, it says, when the king heard about it, he was furious. This is verse 7 of Matthew 22. So I don't lose you. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Now, do you know what? This actually did happen. And it's going to happen again. And in fact, it's happening in stages now because it's a dying and perishing world. At that time, Christ was crucified, but he foretold the fall of Jerusalem before he left. He was crucified and he resurrected from the dead. And after his ascension, he empowered his apostles to go across the world now, not just to Israel, to go beyond Israel, to Samaria, to... Um, everywhere else, <laughs> and right across the world to proclaim to Samaria, to Judea, everywhere else to proclaim the gospel. And that's how the gospel of Christ became global. The apostles were accused in, in, um, in, in um, Greece, I think, of, in fact, even I think in Rome, they were accused of having turned the uh, world upside down with their message. Yes, the message went across. The gospel has since been open to everybody, everybody, the whole world. Christ's ministry, he stayed in he stayed in Israel, uh, in Israel, but after that, you know, after his ascension, he sent the disciples to go and be his witnesses across the world, in Judea, in Samaria, everywhere, across every continent, right across the world, and that is what we still have to this day. So the messengers are still being sent out, you know, and indeed Jerusalem did was destroyed. You know, Jerusalem was destroyed according to what the Lord has said would happen to them. Jerusalem fell. You know, um, I think um, historians have it as perhaps I think about some 70 years or so after Christ's um, ascension. Whatever it may have been, it happened. God had had enough of, of, of their thanklessness, shall we say. So that happened. And anyway, even before that happened, there was persecution against the apostles because the people did not like the conviction that came through the message of the gospel and they spread. They thought they were doing them harm by chasing them about and all sorts of things. But the message spread everywhere that way. It was God's plan. So now, the gospel has gone out into the world. And this is where it says, Then he said, you know, after God destroyed, devastated their city, he said um, to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. So the message has now gone out to the world, and it is still out to the world. We are still being invited to the wedding. We are today still being invited to the wedding. 
And the whole will be full. Oh, yes, it will surely be full. It will be full of all those God has predestined for his great and wonderful salvation. But, you, you know, the, 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 the sad thing now is the situation is still the same. The people are still, well, most people are still shunning the message of the gospel, still shunning God's invitation to salvation and for, to, to forgiveness and salvation. People are still shunning it. They're still busy running around their own business and running around their own ambitions, wanting to satisfy their, 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 their carnal appetites. They're wanting to make a name for themselves in the world. They're wanting to achieve things. They're wanting to pursue their ambitions. They're wanting to accumulate and acquire goods in this world, perishable goods, for their perishing souls. Tragic, very unfortunate, because it doesn't matter how much you um, accumulate and acquire and what a name you make for yourself or anything, it's going to happen. You are going to leave this world. And what will you take away with you? You brought nothing, you will go with nothing. You will go with nothing. You can only be buried in a little bit of space in the ground. doesn't matter how big a temple you may build for your body. That body wouldn't move. Once it's placed where it's placed, that's that. Until, it, you know, it all rots away and that's the end of that. Nothing, none of the things we accumulate here will follow us for eternity. Not even the relationships we have here. The only relationships that will stand for eternity will, is that of the household of God. The kingdom of God. Those of us who are citizens of that kingdom through receiving thankfully receiving the gift of God who is Christ Jesus our Lord our Savior and Lord because we have believed God when he said we are sinners and we have cried out to Jesus Christ who is Savior we have cried out to him we have received the forgiveness that comes uh, from him by faith because we know, we admit, and we believe that his coming to the world was for our sakes. And so we're thankful that he came. We're thankful that he went to the cross. We're grateful for the blood he shed, the torture and torment he went through, the pain and the agony of having his body pierced and having his skin ripped apart for us. The punishment that you and I deserved and deserve. He took it all upon himself. And we are so thankful that because of him, we will never be condemned by God the Father. We are thankful that because of him, we are now called the sons of God, the sons and daughters of God. When I say sons in this instance, I'm using it generically. It means mankind, humans. Male and female. So now we have been given the right to be called sons of God because we trust in Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice for our sins. We know that that has satisfied God's wrath and we have been forgiven and we have been adopted as the children of God and we have been granted citizenship of the kingdom of God. Do you know that is the only kingdom that is from eternity to eternity? The only kingdom whose beginning no man can speak of? And who, who, the, the only kingdom that will never have an end. That is the kingdom that's eternal. The kingdoms of the world, they come and they go. And they will all ultimately fall and go. But the kingdom of God, 
where our citizenship is. Our citizenships in this world, useful as they may be now, will have no eternal will have no eternal value. Because even this world will not exist as we know it now. It's going to be destroyed by God. And would anyone question him? No, we can't. We did not counsel him to create it. He can do with it according to his own will. And his will is always perfect and glorious. He will do it because he is going to re recreate it for those who belong to him. So now we belong in that kingdom now. The kingdom of God. We are already in it because our allegiance is to the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are citizens because we are the sons of God. We are royal princes and princesses because we have been told that it is our eternal inheritance. We have been told that we are co-heirs with God and with Christ. Amazing. We are in such a beautiful situation, such a wonderful position, that death from the world is gain for us. Death does not phase me, shouldn't phase any believer. Because it's nothing. It is just us being separated from this world of sin, this world of imperfection, this world of wickedness, where we shine as lights to the glory of our God and Savior. So when we are separate, when we called up home, for us it's a calling up home, not calling up to judgment, for those of us who belong to Christ. But the others who don't, anyone who doesn't belong to Christ, will be called up to judgment and damn, condemnation to eternal hell. But we have a lot to look forward to. The presence of our God, being in the presence of our God in paradise, and then ultimately coming back to reign with Christ on earth. To the end of this current world as we know it, the heavens and the earth will be destroyed, the, world's, uh, the, the word says, according to God's promise, and all things will be renewed. And once again we shall be back in this world which will be in perfection, clothed with immortality, with a crown of life eternal on our heads, the reward God has promised to those who belong to him. And once again, we will leave here. And it will be wonderful because there will be no sin, no wickedness, no vileness, no labors, no struggles, no weeping, no dying, no sickness. Nothing evil or wicked or negative, no pain. We look forward to that. So it is part of God's wonderful plan when we are called away from this world. So people panic. Nobody wants to die. It's funny though, because you know, there is that song that says um, everyone wants to go to heaven but nobody wants to die. I don't know about unbelievers wanting to go to heaven. I don't know what the thing their chances are. Because this thing is not done by by works. And nor can anyone pay for it. It is by the grace of God that comes through Jesus Christ. Free of charge for goodness sake. What is wrong with people? Anyway. So. He went, I mean, the servants went. The servants started with the, um, for the new dispensation of grace after the people, the first set of invited guests shunned the grace of God. The second wave of grace is here. There's not going to be a third. <laughs> there isn't going to be a third. This is the second wave. This is the final wave of grace being offered to men. Grace, that gift of God that cannot be earned 
and that cannot be bought and that is not deserved because none of us deserves to be to be saved none of us deserves God's mercy nothing we deserve nothing we can earn nothing from God so this is a final dispensation of grace and the servants have been sent the apostles and then from then on every believer every single true believer is an agent of peace of God we are all ambassadors every faithful believer and then preachers and pastors we we're all we are the church the church now are the messengers of God put it that way let's simplify it that way the church where the faithful believers are we're all carrying that message of the gospel we're all basking in it we're all witnesses to our great salvation and we're calling out to a dying world come to the wedding feast you have been invited but how do you come because here he says the you know the bad and good people they really aren't any good people <laughs> we only made good by the cleansing through the blood of Christ but what it is saying to us is everybody all kinds of people from all walks of life all walks of life and indeed yes I mean when he says here we've got come on murderers will be forgiven by God sexual predators will be forgiven by God there is no sin that God will not forgive if we when we come to Christ that is what the Bible means when it says the, the bad and the good. Yes, not everybody who comes to Christ has been a murder, murderer or a thief or a prostitute or an abuser or anything like that, or fraudster or anything. You know, but um, God does not look at that because His gift of salvation is in spite of us. It's in spite of us. It is His choice. It is His gift. It is His mercy and His grace. So it's not about why you know why should he or she be saved you know they did this and they did that none of us can go and make a case for ourselves before god no it is the grace of god everything can be forgiven so he says all kinds of people receive that message invitation to the wedding feast and the hall was filled with guests the people came both good and bad we can all come to god to the to, to to Christ and cast our sin burden at the foot of the cross and say Lord Jesus I do believe you came into the world for me for my sake even me Lord Jesus forgive me my sins because I know that you Lord died for me you've paid the price already and if your confession is sincere indeed you will receive new forgiveness and new life and your life will never be the same because you, are be, you, you will be dead to the life you once lived. Because now you want to live for God. Because now you find life that is truly life. So, we come that way. But now look, there was an intruder. There was an intruder at this wedding. <laughs> because, um, but when the king, verse 11, but when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have a wedding garment so he said to him friend how did you come in here without a wedding garment and he was speechless then the king said to the servants bind him hand and foot take him away and cast him into outer darkness 
There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Now this is very important, because people might ordinarily think, yeah, but anybody and everybody was invited into the feast, so why is this man being accused of not having a wedding garment after all? He was just picked off the street, you know, like everybody else. Yes, what is this wedding garment? And why did everybody else have it when this person didn't have it? I mean, it is fair to say everybody there was an intruder, in a way. But um, in the fact that they were not the original invitees. <laughs> but now they've been invited and they're in there. And then this man also shows up, but he's not, a, he's not received by the king. Because he did not have a wedding garment on. What is this wedding garment that, you know, this man didn't wear? Because everybody else was in there. Good and bad, we read. So what was his offense? Now, that is what we need to learn today, even more. His offense was he tried to get in by his own merits. He tried to come in to the wedding banquet apart from the invitation. He'd heard there's a banquet going on, there's a feast, yet people have been invited. But he went in, he tried to get in of his own volition. He tried to get in through his own efforts. He tried to get in through his own maybe sense of entitlement or something, I don't know. Because a lot of people today believe that they have a relationship with God, they don't need Jesus Christ. You don't have Jesus Christ, you don't have the wedding garment on. Because you are not acceptable. There are many religions that tell you they believe in God, they believe in a higher power, but not in Jesus Christ, you know, they don't need Jesus Christ. The uh, the Mohammedans will tell you that, um, yep, they believe in God, even Jesus Christ is mentioned in the Quran. However, however, it's not God's son, it was just another great prophet like the Mohammed. And as such, you know, God is God, he didn't begot a son, and he wasn't begotten himself. They want to tell God what's going on. <laughs> they want to tell God what he's done from the beginning. They want to tell him who, about himself. They want to tell God what he can and cannot do. Amazing that. And those are the people who try to go in, who went to, well, who, who attempted to be at the wedding banquet without their garment on. And then we've got the Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is another good example. Because for them, salvation is by works. Do this and do that, do a bit of this and pay this penance and do this sacraments and then, you know, you just might get to heaven, you know. You have to uh, work your way through it. And then you have the mad charismatics of this age, who, for them, it's all about works and money. Pay your tithes and you get to heaven. You know, if you don't pay your tithes, you won't get to heaven. Sow this seed, make this covenant seed, you know, honor pastor because it's your spiritual father. Hide under the cover of uh, your spiritual father and your spiritual mother. And, you know, keep working hard so you can make heaven. How I hate that phrase, make heaven make heaven. I did a sermon once, and you'll find it on one of my outlets, you know, Spotify, YouTube, um, iTunes, Amazon Music, Facebook, you know, everywhere, Buzzsprout. But um, I did the sermon, and I called it, those who want to make heaven want. <laughs> Anyone who desires to make heaven will not make heaven. 
for this same reason they're going to be walked out because they are part of the many called but they will be unchosen why because they try to enter by climbing over the fence because they have no wedding garment on because they have not known Christ Jesus the only way into the kingdom of God because they have not known Christ Jesus nor submitted to him the only one who is Lord the name above all names that God Almighty gave his son Jesus Christ the name by which we can all enter the name by which we can all be saved is Lord and inasmuch as people walk in disobedience to his commands inasmuch as people are not subject to um, his forgiveness and sub you know they have not submitted to him they have not cried out to him for forgiveness they have not subjected themselves to his lordship they have not admitted that he alone is the acceptable atoning sacrifice for their sins before God they are not wearing the wedding garment and in as much as anyone is without this wedding garment they are doomed for eternity because when we come to Christ Jesus when Jesus saves us and he is our savior and we submit to his authority for the rest of our lives his lordship we submit to him as lord and we proclaim he is lord that means he's our master we become the slave we become the slaves and the beautiful thing is he doesn't even lord it over us he says you are my friends you are co-heads with me you are children of my father i'm going to my father and your father so even though we are his slaves and i just love to say i'm a slave because i'd rather be a slave it's a beautiful thing it's a blessed thing to be a slave of the lord jesus christ than a slave to unrighteousness a slave to sin which is a every man which is what every man is born as slaves to sin now we are no longer slaves to sin or fear or anything else but we're slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ and slave you know slavery to Christ <laughs> being a slave of Christ it means being a child of God means being a friend of the Lord means being a priest before God a royal priesthood a people belonging to God it just it is the highest calling any human being can receive so you see now at the time we then do that once we become that once we have come we have received the gift of salvation through Christ we know he's our Lord we submit to him as Lord his righteousness and remember Jesus Christ was the only man who tread the earth who was perfect perfect without sin because he did not come from the seed of a man yeah without sin without blemish God's spotless lamb that's why he alone was the atoning sacrifice for all of mankind when in the days when the people had to sacrifice bulls and sheep and all that they needed to do it over and over and over again yes but when Jesus laid down his life for us he was a once for all sacrifice because he was spotless perfect without blemish 
the only acceptable sacrifice to God. So, his righteousness then is imputed to us. So when God looks at all of us who belong to Jesus Christ, God sees righteous children. Not because we're wonderful in our ways, we're perfect in our ways. Our perfection cannot be achieved here. We cannot attain perfection that God requires here. That comes at our glorification when we are taken away from this world of sin. So there are many reasons to be grateful for death. Many reasons. Because we're taken away from this place of sin and temptation and evil and death and all that and made perfect. We will be clothed with, you know, with immortality. And that's when we're perfect. We will be like Christ. When we see him as he is, in the fullness of his heavenly glorious majesty. And we will be like him. Because the reason God you know, put his plan of salvation in place in the first instance was to create sons. Sons that will be like Christ. Let's look at that. It's, um, I'll just quickly read that verse in Romans chapter 8 from verse 28 there. Hold on. Romans 8 from 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called, are they called according to his purpose, not your purpose, not my purpose, according to God's own purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, from the very beginning, when God made his plan for salvation, he was to deliver unto himself a people who would be in the image of his son. Because God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the Father loves so much, and is called equal with the Father, is God the Son. That is how much they are unified. Yes, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One person and three, three persons and one. Maybe that the fullness of that mystery will understand when we are there. I guess we will then. But for now, it's mind-blowing. <laughs> now, God created that. You know, he, he his plan of salvation was to create a people belonging to him that will be conformed to the image of his son so that Christ, his son, might be the firstborn among many brethren. See where, why we're sons, why we're adopted as sons of God? Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. That is the calling we receive, that calling to the wedding banquet. Whom he called, these he also justified. We receive the justification, the forgiveness of our sins. Yes? And um, that justification of our sins, we receive our sanctification also. The cleansing. We're forgiven, we're cleansed, we're given new life filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, so we're clean. We're clean because of the word of grace that we've received. And when and whom he justified, these he also glorified. That glorification will be a perfection to come when we are out of this territory of sin, darkness, wickedness. We will be with God. We will be like Christ. 
ultimately. So why, as a believer, would you be afraid of death? I can never understand that. Believers who are terrified of death, a little bit of a headache on the wrong side of their head, and they're running around from place to place restlessly in fear, you know, would they want to be delivered? Anything goes on, oh, they run around looking for miraculous healings and things like that, and then they end up falling victim to all kinds of predators out there who call themselves ministers of God. Predators, that's what they are. Because they consume them. They they mess them up completely. The people come out, you know, disenfranchised because a lot of time, well, unless we have God's own providence, they don't get the healing they look for. So they come out confused, even more confused than when they went in. But then having the, the, they lose all their money, they lose every, they lose a lot of things. They lose their minds, they lose their... In a lot of cases, the relationship they're trying to form with Christ, they lose. Because, you know, they hadn't perfected it in faith before running around after men to help them. And if you run to men for your help, you know what? God will take his hands off and just watch you... Make a fool of yourself with the fool you choose to follow. Oh, because Almighty God will not give his glory to another. He will not share his praise with anyone. So if, if you're going to be glorifying your pastor or your prophet or whoever for the healing and the blessings you receive from God, you won't receive much because God will not. He will not give his glory to, a me, to another. How much more a mere mortal? A mere mortal is a who's foreign to God anyway, because anyone who will stand and purport to be delivering people and purport to have the power to do anything for any for another man is an enemy of God. They don't know God. When we proclaim the gospel, we don't come boasting of what we can do because we can do nothing. We can only sow the seed. We can't even make it grow. We sow the seed of the of the word of God. And how it works out in each individual who hears its life is really between them and God. But we can only do what we can and testify to the greatness and goodness of God that we know, that we have received, that we live and walk in. And it's up to you whether you want to believe it or not. I'm sowing the seed now. Where it lands, I don't know. Whether people want to hear it or not, I don't know, but I saw it anyway. And it is God who works it. The power is Holy Spirit who does the work of conviction, you know, in, in people's hearts. Nobody converted me. Nobody can convert anyone. And people take pride. Some people take pride in that. I've won this many souls to Christ. I've won that. Stop that nonsense. You can't win anything. Stop giving yourself trophies. Wait for the commendation of the Almighty on the day you see him face to face. Rather than you ego tripping and saying how many souls you've won. When you hear people like that, you know, they make their billboards of, you know, the crusades they want to have or some events where they want to fleece people, obviously, and they say, oh yeah, this amazing man of God won 50,000 souls to the Lord. This one's won over one million to the... Who are they to proclaim any such foolishness? So anyway... Because this man, this people, and this applies to anyone today who think they can have a relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ, who think they can enter into the kingdom of God apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior Jesus Christ, the atoning work of Christ, the cross of Christ, they will be thrown out. 
they will be thrown out because they are not clothed in his righteousness. Because his righteousness is imputed to those who belong to him. And that is that justification before God. It's not because I have washed myself clean of every sin or I'm able to, but because Jesus washed me clean of every sin when he shed his blood on that cross at Calvary. He is the only one who can do it. And when we, there's no other way we can present ourselves acceptable to God apart from him. So when people want to go before Christ, before God, and say, look at me, I've never done any harm in my life. I obey 10 out of 10 commandments. I am just perfect and wonderful before you. He will say, bind them hand and foot and throw them into the outer space where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Have you been called? Will you be chosen? You will be chosen if you are clothed in the wedding garment, which is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the Savior, the only Savior and Lord. Apart from him, you can do nothing. So we have many today in the church space, millions and millions, perhaps billions across the world, who claim they are believers, but in what are they clothed? Clothed in, your, uh, in the affection of your pastor or prophet ain't going to do it. Clothed in the laws and commands of your pastor and prophet isn't going to crack it. Clothed in the amount of good works you do and the tithes and seed offering and all the money you give and the, your contribution to the pastor's private jet fund or whatever or how much you're carrying his wife's handbag and carrying the polishing pastor's shoes ain't going to crack it with God. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Has he saved you? Or are you attempting to save yourself by your good and wonderful works? Has Christ saved you? And has he imputed his righteousness to you? Do you walk in obedience to him? Do you honor him in all things, in everything? Do you proclaim him in every circumstance? Do you proclaim his name as the only name that saved you? If you do, if you claim you love Jesus Christ, you know what he said? If you love me, you will obey me. Yes, that's how you show how, how, how you love Christ. It's not by just running around chanting Jesus is Lord. Because, uh, yeah, many places, uh, many false places set up for, for uh, calling themselves um, church. They teach people that. They teach them their slogans to say Jesus is Lord. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made on this and that. Your boastings are going to get you very far. God looks at your heart. The Lord knows those who are his. God is not mocked. You know, God is not mocked. And um, Jesus made it very clear, our Lord, when he says, um, where are we? Uh, in John, in John chapter 14, he says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Do you have that confidence? Again, it says in verse 23 of John chapter 14, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Do you have the confidence of the presence, ever-present, you know, ever-present pr uh, Holy Spirit of God in you? Because it said, If you obey me, we will come to you, we will love you, we will come to you and make our home with you. Or do you still run around in fear? Fear of the unknown, fear of darkness, fear of the afterlife, fear of um, witches, fear of enemies, fear of uh, spiritual things, you know, that has been fed to your imagination, 
fear of uh, tomorrow, fear of where your next meal will come from, fear of um, who might kill you in the world, fear of a lot of things, fear of losing your material acquisitions. Do you run around in fear? Because if you do, then I have to wonder, question your faith. In whom have you placed your faith? Because you see, it's all about obedience. If you obey the Lord, he says, that is the one who loves me. My father loves him and we will come and make a home with such a one. In whom does your confidence lie before you approach the wedding banquet? In what garment are you clothed? The only acceptable wedding garment to God Almighty. The Father, the King, who has prepared this banquet for his son, this marriage. The only acceptable garment is the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Are you clothed in it? Are you clothed in it? Ask yourself. Check yourself. It's never too late. As long as you have breath, the grace still stands. The invitation still stands. But one day the breath will be taken from you. And you don't know when. I don't know when. But you have the opportunity to receive it today. So Lord Jesus, we give you praise and we give you glory. Father Almighty, we thank you for your amazing gift. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, for this most amazing invitation. For this incredible gift of your own son. Your own perfect son who is God, the maker. And you gave yourself and your life for us. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. Father, I pray, O oh Lord, that your people may, might open their ears to receive your word. Might open their hearts to understanding. Bless them, O oh Lord, with understanding. That they may understand what it is you are saying. That they may comprehend what it is you are doing. In the fullness of your loving kindness and mercy. In inviting them to that feast. And inviting them out of condemnation and death into your glorious light and your justification. Eternal King of glory, I pray, O Lord, that your mercy will be upon the people. I pray, O Lord, that you may take them out of the web of darkness in which many are wallowing. You know, the web of darkness in which many are entangled. You alone are the deliverer, Lord Jesus. Deliver them. As many as you have chosen, O Lord Almighty, as many of you have, you have chosen, May they hear that call and respond with thanksgiving. We give you praise, we give you glory, O Lord our God. For every saint through every age, I thank you, Father in heaven. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the cross. Be glorified. May our lives, all our days, be to the glory of your praise. May we honor you in everything, above all else and anything else. May you live your life through us. May we be objects of delight in your eyes. We pray this, Lord Jesus, to the glory of your praise. Amen. Thank you all for watching and for listening. May the Lord show you his mercy and be with you always. Amen.